talk to uh, John Balfinia now. He's our Latin American specialist, and there is always something happening in his region of the world. Uh, John, a very good evening to you. Hey, Martin, how are you? I'm fine, yourself? Good, thank you. Good, good, good. Now, uh, tell me first of all about Haiti. Uh, it was a surprise to me that it's actually 10 years since the uh, Haiti earthquake. And I gather nothing much has been uh, resolved and s there's still lots and lots of work to do. Absolutely, and I think that's why it's a story again. I mean, it's a story 10 years on, not, not just because of the, the sheer scale and, and horror of what took place. I mean, in a population of 11 million, one million were left uh, homeless, three million were directly affected, and you know, obviously estimates of dead vary, but somewhere between 150 and 300,000, which compared to, you know, if you look at it in a UK context, it would be the equivalent of losing, like Birmingham and Leeds disappearing overnight. It's that scale of, yeah. uh, of context. But also, 10 years on, like nothing has really changed there. 10 billion um, US dollars was was pledged in, in relief at the time. Two years on, only $3 billion of that had arrived. Infrastructurally, everything was, was held up. I mean, even the presidential palace still hasn't been rebuilt. And essentially, all of the aid that did go in has essentially caused more uh, more trouble than good. I mean, the, the more famous now examples of the Oxfam abuse yeah, that, yeah. that took place, cholera being released into the water system by the by the aid agencies. And just a, an example that that I know of firsthand in terms of Haiti is the, the international community sending in doctors that were um, free of charge providing medical care to people over that period of time meant that any actual functioning doctors in Haiti, suddenly their industry disappeared. So they up and left and went off and emigrated to different countries. So th these kind of side effects of aid, which are little known, have really, if anything, sunk Haiti further into the mire than it than it ever was. I mean, traditionally a, a very a poor country, a politically unstable country. So already starting from a from a low base, it had a couple of significant hurricanes just a year before before the earthquake. But it you know caused a a flash of international um, awareness in newsrooms around the world ten years ago. But then since then, everybody kind of has gone on their you know on their way and and forgotten about what is probably actually the most important case study on, on how not to deal with a crisis that we've had in the last 20 years. Yeah, and that's the way news works. And I always find it very frustrating because we never find out what happened afterwards. You know, there's a huge story at the time. And obviously the Oxfam story was, was massive, especially over here. Uh, and that made all the headlines. But I'd like to know what day-to-day what -day life is actually like in Haiti uh, at the moment. I mean, can you... Can you tell us that? Yeah, and it's actually really interesting because we speak about Venezuela a lot um, mm. to you and I on, on this show and, and the sanctions, you know, U.S. sanctions on Venezuela and, and the like. And recently, over the course of the last few months, there's been major demonstrations due to fuel price rises in, in Haiti. And, and who would have thought that's because the sanctions on Venezuela from the U.S. administration has, has meant that actually Venezuela has not been allowed to provide Haiti with subsidized fuel. So for the average guy on the street fuel has quadrupled in price which they can't afford there so that's caused another you know snowball effect down the mountainside there so any like you know international ripple or um that takes place elsewhere always in these places that are more vulnerable just absolutely augments and um, and multiplies itself um haiti day to day um very little in the way of um of industry and economy and work very much uh 
uh, I mean, not quite an Venezuelan context, but how do you get through the day? So a lot of, um, you know, small-scale economies, um, obviously in that kind of space as well, uh, a use or an overuse of natural resources is um, is uh, is prevalent. I mean, I remember going around the outskirts of Dominican Republic, um, which is 10 times richer than Haiti, and Haiti a few years ago, and night descended, I was on a boat, and I remember seeing I was on the border between Dominican Republic and Haiti at the time, and there were lights on in the Dominican Republic, I mean, you could see lights, and, in ha and Haiti was completely uh, dark. I mean, there was no, you know, nothing was, was lit at that particular um, time of night, so it's very much a subsistence economy, and everybody you know, fighting for themselves and just trying to get through the day in, in whatever way they can. Yeah, so um, what about the government there? Is, uh, one assumes that there's a certain amount of, uh, uh, a certain amount of horror about the fact that nothing's been rebuilt and, uh, and they're still suffering there. Yeah, very big demonstrations against the president, Jovenel Moyes. Um, for a long time last year, he didn't come out and say anything. Um, there's almost this kind of new rule book now, I think, amongst politicians where rather than come out and actually, you know, cause reactions where you just don't say anything, don't say anything at all. And then eventually he came out and sort of made this very anodyne speech about civil unrest in Haiti, which just obviously, you know, caused caused more uproar. To some extent, you know, what you could say about him is that, um, you know, where can you go from this? Mm. Where You know, you get elected to this kind of context where there is no real functioning um you know economy certainly not in an international context where there's no exports and imports where there's no real you know in a in a contemporary i guess kind of capitalist context you exist in a parallel uh, world or, or universe so how do you make these things how do you make these things function and when any geopolitical move massively affects you i mean another case in point was that the, for about the last 10 years there's been a, a u.s um refuse vessel which is carrying toxic waste going around the oceans because it's easier than dumping it anywhere and recently they tried to dump it in haiti because they realized that that actually there were no checks and balances there so that's the kind of the literal swill that you get happening you know on the shores of um of, of the island of hispaniola on the on the shores of haiti yeah it's it's outrageous i mean it's, it's almost difficult for us to grasp you know we're same with venezuela it's almost difficult to grasp exactly what that must be like for people um while you're on this story in uh, panama was uh, was a shocker uh, a suspected uh, exorcism tell, tell us about that yeah, to some extent, a shocker, and, and in another sense, not really a, a surprise. I mean, a shocker in terms of what actually took place. So some kind of exorcism from this uh, evangelical church, which had gone into this uh, or begun to take hold in this remote area on the Caribbean coast of of, of Panama, which led to seven seven deaths uh, as they, as people essentially were urged to repent or be killed. And um, and so the three people managed to escape and called the authorities that, that came in and then found a number of uh, a number of dead and a number of people, you know, obviously hurt that were flown off to hospital and stuff. That's the bit which is surprising. The bit which isn't surprising, which has been taking place since the 60s, is the emergence of of um, evangelical, almost rogue evangelical churches, mm. you could argue, um, in and around. Uh, I mean, not just Latin America, but you know, the U.S. as as well. And this actually often takes place in remote areas because evangelical churches say you know, an evangelical church going into panama city or mexico city or uh, or anywhere like that because of the the sheer the networks and how they function in in cityscapes it's very difficult for those to, to, to take a hold there but if you go to a town of 
you know, for families as a new church, it's much easier to kind of co-opt the whole community um, and take that over. So you've got this kind of this um, uneasy, unhealthy um, modus operandi of evangelical churches spreading their tentacles and deliberately reaching out to remote, highly remote communities right across uh, right across Latin America, and for sure, numbers of um, evangelical churches and uh, evangelical influence is is going up across Latin America. I mean, Jair Bolsonaro in in Brazil now is um, you know obviously president of of Brazil mm-hmm. is, is an evangelical. But even before him, the left wing government of Dilma Rousseff and and Lula da Silva had to to some extent court the evangelicals um, in order to to kind of to to, to continue to to be elected. So. Uh, although Latin America is largely, you know, about 60-70% Catholic, um, the the influence, the emergent influence of evangelical churches is something which the continent has to, increasingly has to contend with. Yeah, so seven people were found dead after this suspected exorcism, but, you know, it's sort of nothing to see here move on, because it's happening all the time. Yeah, I mean, you know, not quite to that extreme extent, mm. as you were saying about the news cycle. The thing is, you know, those things hit the news, but when, but, you know, what obviously doesn't hit the news is the fact that this is happening on a day-to-day basis, you know, right across indigenous communities, um, across across Latin America, as people mm. try and get their, you know, evangelical churches have a vested interest to evangelize mm. and to get their numbers up and get people coming across to them. And, and of course, you know, some are more rogue and, and crazier than others. I mean, I don't know how you, mention, how you measure the crazy scale in, in these terms, but um, really, this is definitely at the far end of it. Indeed it is. Um, John, thank you ever so much. Do appreciate it. Take care, Martin. Cheers, John. John Bonfilio there joining us from uh, Mexico, our Latin American uh, specialist. Alongside Latin American correspondent, if you want to follow the U.S. election cycle or any other international election cycle, which may be of interest, we also take requests on Spotify. We're also on... I've forgotten it. What is it? Uh, Dropbox. No, not Dropbox. On Spotify. Spotify. Are we on Dropbox as well? Are we? Or is it SoundCloud? Wait, no, Spotify. Look, just forget all that stuff. Just Spotify. Follow Speakeasy Politics on Spotify. Say the name again. How hard can it be? Say the name again. Bye.